Genre. to Spider-Man Minute, the daily podcast where we analyze and celebrate the movie Spider-Man one credit-filled minute at a time. I'm Zach Luna. And I'm Scott Corelli. And today we're talking about minute number two, uh, which means we're still in the weeds of the early title sequence, just looking at credits. Um, Mm -hmm. Let's see, we uh, begin right after the uh, starring Mr. Mr. Tomei Aguirre credit, and uh, we end with uh, music by Danny Elfman credits yeah yeah which uh which speaking of which you know i did a little bit of like initial research on danny elfman i mean we have 122 episodes to (laughs) to talk about danny elfman yeah um and how great this score is Mm -hmm. uh but i uh i you know my preliminary research didn't bring back a a a lot really um especially not for this first one i remember him being more chatty about his score when the second one came around right because i remember him really liking the the doc ock score that he came up with yeah um but uh for this first one i'm not finding a a whole lot in my preliminary research but uh i'm sure i'll i'll you know i'll i'm gonna keep reading that uh that spider-man making up book yeah, and, uh, I'm sure there's going to be a whole section on the music in there. <laughs> yeah, but uh, but of course, you know, Danny Elfman, primarily a Tim Burton guy. Like he had done yeah. he had done scores for Sam Raimi in the past. He did mm-hmm. the Army of Darkness um, theme. Oh wow! Not the entire oh, score, but I just the main that. theme. Yeah. yeah. Wow. The theme of the marching darkness. Like yeah. that's that's his that march. Is, that is very Elfman-y. That's right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So he was um, he's so, a he's a known figure already by this point. Uh, right. And yeah. and even known in superhero because like arguably at this point, you know, mm-hmm. the X-Men score isn't particularly memorable. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, I always there. try to hum it and I end up and I I inevitably end up humming the 90s like animated theme song <laughs> yeah, the, like, so like it never it never one right so There's... like it never quite clicks mm-hmm. um so like arguably there were at this point there were two superhero themes that mm-hmm. were worth any salt right john williams superman theme of course and danny elfman's batman, batman theme. theme yeah right yeah um and so you know he was one of two guys who had done a memorable superhero theme yeah uh, and, and that were so a natural he, choice or, uh, or right. fit for the tone. Yeah. Right. And so they get, uh, they get Danny Elfman, um, presumably because of his past working with Sam Raimi. Sure. And, uh, it's an interesting score for Danny Elfman, I think. Yeah. I think uh, it's a little, it's a little, it's a bit of a change of a pace. Uh huh. And I think that, um, it's not given enough credit for how good it is. Because it doesn't have that immediate 
hummable quality to it. Right. Like other than like, a, a bit here in the title sequence itself, right. uh, throughout the film, it's not like I my key memories of the film are associated with the you know a moment in the score swelling or something like that. Right. But it is it is so to pardon the metaphor interwoven uh, into the fabric mm -hmm. of the film itself that it it just feels of a piece, which is hard to do. Uh, it, yeah, it, it doesn't, it doesn't, you know, if you look at like a, a silly sketch online or something that's like, Oh, what's a Danny Elfman score? Like it doesn't have a lot of those like classic hallmarks of like, um, quirky dinky dilly doos and things like that. Right. And it's not like a overtly Gothic sort of soundtrack. It's this like, not earnest. until the third one. Yeah. <laughs> We'll Spider-Man 3's got a lot of deleted <laughs> Yeah, just a few. But for, for now at least, it's um it's very earnest. And it's um I mean it's an, it's a simple metaphor, but the, you know, the overwhelming use of strings uh mm -hmm. throughout, it just it you you're soaring along up there with it. I mean, I I love mm -hmm. this this uh soundtrack. Even when we were talking yesterday about the um the the Marvel logo coming up with the uh the, the flip book um, for years still, even in other movies that had the Marvel logo with the flip book, I, I almost expect to hear the beginning of this score, you know, rat, mm -hmm. that that sort of rhythm along with the pages right. as they flip by. Like it's it's solid. It's there. It's mm -hmm. great. Um, yeah, I love it. I mean, I, I'm not um, well enough versed in music theory to give it some uh, <laughs> like really. Oh, we've got we've got people coming up who oh, will perfect. do that, Good. Um, including uh, mm. Scott Tofty, who we got to give a shout out. Oh, absolutely. To. Yeah. Um, he he actually created our opening theme. Mm -hmm. uh, which, uh, he dubs, uh, spider things because it's, uh, <laughs> it's the Danny Elfman, um, Spider-Man theme, uh, yeah. done in the style of like that synthy stranger things, yeah. uh, kind of thing. So it's lovely. I Thank think you, he, he knocked yeah. it out of the park. It's awesome. He's great. Um, he's great. He also yeah. does the music on uh, geek by night, which is where I first yes. heard his stuff. Um, right. He's and uh, yeah, he's got uh, he's he's got some minutes on our schedule, so he'll be popping up later in the movie. Um, and I'm sure we'll we'll you know we'll talk all about the Elfman themes and uh, musical motifs and all that stuff then. Yeah. But you know, overall, I, I think what I like about it is that it's just so perfectly toned to the movie. Yeah. Yeah. Like it is. It is as much of an identifier of these movies as anything else in these movies. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like, like it's it's like a co-star. Yeah, it's um, it's what me. was missing from some of those early uh, test trailers that we talked about in right. our preview episodes. That like, right. yeah, okay, I'm seeing this is a Spider-Man movie, and I'm obviously excited that it's a Spider-Man movie. But it, what is missing that makes it feel like <laughs> right? Why is why is there a house? techno song right playing. why do why do we have this matrix bit in here now right. it's oh yeah because you can you, this -na 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 -na, you know that like that yeah. rising you know back and forth on the strings uh that rhythmic pulsing thing of mm -hmm. oh yeah like there's the movie's about to happen the, the right? like, spider-man is happening and you're you're transported in, into this world um I, well, the, and what, yeah, what else? You know, yeah. the other thing that I really like about it, and this is, I mean, I don't know what, how deep into music theory I'm going, but like, sure, yeah. there's this thing in the theme that mm -hmm. I like a lot, and yeah. I and I know that it's a it's the sort of thing that 
um, musicians talk about because Tofty talks about it a lot when he talks about Geek by Night, mm-hmm. um, which is a thing we're referring to as if people know what we're talking about, but we'll talk about it later. Oh, sure. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> uh, but uh, he talks about like how he builds, you know, some of the some of the score that he writes for that. Yeah. And so I think a lot about that. And I think about how these musicians are storytellers in their own right. And there's this mm-hmm. bit in the Spider-Man theme where it builds to a crescendo mm-hmm. and then gets let down. And it's almost as if it is a musical representation of Peter Parker. Pe- yeah, I was going to say. That's where a, he's that's constantly building. Yeah. He's building up to like this big heroic moment and then like get screwed up or screwed over or whatever. Yeah. And he, oh man, like oh, nothing ever works him. out for yeah. me. Oh, no. You know, because it, it always does that like – you know, it's like, da, 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 da. And it just like yeah. drops, yeah. you know? Like and the, the weight just, from out from under you. Yeah, it's right. It's life, uh, life beating up Peter Parker uh, one more time. Uh, type of yeah. Thing. Like it, it feels mm. the way that I, I remember, you know, reading comics issue to issue, um, you know, tracking along and that, that sort of almost soap opera thrill of, oh no. And oh, there, that, that. Yeah, back and forth sort of cyclical nature of the storytelling in in long form of is anything ever going to go right for this kid? Uh, right, and then he picks himself back up and he keeps going. That right, that lesson. There, there's that a there's yeah. equal parts mm-hmm. uh, heroism and tragedy to to Danny Elfman's score. That yeah, I just yeah. really really love. It's and beautiful. it's not. As catchy as a as the Superman march or the Batman march, no, but no. It's, it's it's not something that like kids are like uh, really chomping at the bit to play in marching band the next right. year. Yeah, but it's but it's the kind of thing that much like you know when Marvel was created, mm-hmm. like they wanted to make characters with more depth and they have like these you know normal regular problems and so you have like sort of these more you know i hate to use the term simplified but like you can simplify the superman theme i'm not saying it is it is simple but you can simplify the superman theme you can go you know like you can do that and you know oh yeah that's superman yeah there it is and and the same thing with with batman (laughs) like you can you can right you can you can simplify that into mm. almost iconography like you right. can sit and, and that's what those characters are they're iconography yeah but spider-man and the marvel characters were more complex and mm. so they have more complex scores and right. i really like that yeah that you you can write any of these characters in tons of different ways and that they uh they are uh flexible enough to be written in so many different kinds of tones and styles and approaches but that the core essence of them is um, almost easier to distill down in a sort of more iconic uh, classical heroism DC character. Whereas the Spider-Man is, well, he's he's wrought with a lot of, you know, complications is, is sort of the, like <laughs> one of the underlying. Here's how we we sell this character to you. Uh, you know, here's why it 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 appeals, not just the aspirational aspect, but the uh, the the wretched and sort of twisted difficult portions of it that uh he that that feeling that um don't i don't want to just call it complexity because i'm not saying that by contrast other uh things aren't complex i just think that 
building a character in that way is more complex <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> to to sort of uh stumble over my my words but if if you get where i'm coming at that sort of phrasing musically where you can't distill it down as easily like you just said that feels appropriate you know that that mm-hmm. feels tonally appropriate uh it not just in terms of is this in a minor key is this in a major key does it feel grandiose does it feel sad it's also it's a little complex it's a little drawn out it's a little Mm -hmm. you know it's not just gung-ho let's do it it's what what is we're we're moving into this other world we're we're peeking behind a thing and and not just theme music but title sequences themselves are kind of like that uh introduction to the world by 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 their very definition they're introducing you to the film you're about to see uh that they sort of they function as their own prologue um and that the uh the Danny Elfman score functions as a prologue for what we're about to see emotionally. Like it, it gets those, it reminds you of the emotions that, that you're about to have or about to experience or whatever. And the, um, the title sequence itself is much more pared down. Um, I, I, I said yesterday, I talked a little bit about Kyle Cooper, who was the designer on these, um, uh, on this title sequence for Spider-Man. He did mm-hmm. all three of the Spider-Man films, by the way. Um, one thing he talks a lot about is the opportunity, the, the reason that um, he named his uh, his two companies, one was called Imaginary Forces, and his second company, the one that he's with now, is called Prologue Films. Uh, the reason he named them those is they're both terms from the prologue to Henry V and Shakespeare. Uh, imaginary oh. Forces is a phrase from that, and a prologue, obviously, is a prologue. And <laughs> he loves, he, he likes to um, tie in the idea that if you're, doing your job properly when you make a title sequence you're not just saying what this movie is you're making a prologue to the story itself the way that you know you used to have an actor in shakespeare stand up and explain to you a framework for the story that's about to go down you have a a visual moment here that uh that leads you into the world and so kyle cooper the thing that he's most known for I mean, he he is known for these Spider-Man films, but that's not the thing he's known for. The thing he's most known for is the fact that Kyle Cooper did the opening title credits for Seven, which is, uh, you know, that like crazy with like the um, the all the notebooks of uh, of John Doe and, you know, the cutting of the, the fingerprints and all that. It's I mean, of people reference it all the time as like one of the most um, influential opening title sequences that, that, that there ever are. And in discussions of that, he talked about that Dave, that was a collaboration mostly between him and David Fincher and the people that they had around that they almost treated it as a separate short film in that when you sit down to create a title sequence, you obviously watch the movie and you talk with the director and then say, how can I serve this story better? And also, you know, if you have the other marketing things that you're working on, but you at least try to be artistic about it in some way. And adventure was really on board with the idea of we have a couple minutes at the beginning of the film that we have to do. Why not use them to help tell the story a little bit better? And one thing that uh, Cooper saw in the first cut of seven was that uh, obviously we don't, not to take this into the seven uh, minute category for too long, but uh, that we don't see a lot of the, killer as a character for a long time in the film right and uh if we can start with an insight into that character we can actually serve the story a little better so that those introductory scenes 
with the detectives and with the aftermath have looming over them your memory of this little character introspection piece there. Right. Um, sure. Yeah. And so Cooper talks about that a lot and he says normally, and that's where a lot of his um, acclaim came from and a lot of the attention he got, you know, uh, these days he's known for, he did the credits on the walking dead and um, right. American horror story, which if you think like, Oh yeah. Like the, the guy who made the credits for seven. Yeah. I can see that. The oh, American totally, horror story. Yeah. Like it's the influences there, but it's mostly there because People hire him because he made the seven credits and they're like, oh, I want like something that reminds me of that. It it sticks in the mind so hard. Whereas this movie, the the difference he said talking about this, uh, where normally what can I do to tell a bit more of the story or introduce people to the world a little bit more effectively in a, a visual narrative sense? With Spider-Man, he said it was one of the few times where we didn't need to do that. I didn't need to tell more about the character because the everybody knew the character already it was so um absorbed in the fabric of like the cultural consciousness that we can just stay in images that are representational or metaphorical and don't have to be strictly um didactic or storytelling or anything like that uh, mm -hmm. it, that'll change as we'll see when we get to the next movie in the next movie uh, how his approach to the credits evolves over time but at least for this one he went back to that idea of the the Marvel logo flipbook of what is the one key image that we can relate to uh, that that sells something about it, but th that we don't have to explain to people who Spider-Man is. Normally you would in almost any other like high profile uh, title sequence, you would have to spend these moments trying to tell the story a little bit better if you're, you know, hoping to, uh, to to do your job well. But for this one, it was a unique opportunity in that everybody knew what Spider-Man was. So what's right. a what's an image, what's a visual metaphor that speaks, that's interesting and crunchy and speak directly to it? And obviously, if we look at these title credits now or we look at the original, the early promotional materials, it's very simple computer-generated imagery. It's mostly just some webs flying through the air, you know? And they're right. not... They're not rendered in some sort of crazy elaborate way. They're they're not, um, you know, cutting it. I mean, I'm sure they were cutting edge at the, at, at the time, but they're not cutting edge, state of the art, like photorealistic renderings of, I don't know, uh, DNA sequences or something. It's just these clean lines flying, flying through the air. Um, mm -hmm. But what that allows you to do, I, I think in, in his mind, at least, was focus in on what's something that's not told uh, visually uh, in other parts of the film. Like, what is it, What is something that's emblematic of Spider-Man? What's emblematic of spiders themselves is the web. It's what's on the costume. It's how he gets around. It's uh, it's also a, an easy visual uh, uh, a framework to put text in, you know, that I, I mentioned yesterday, Charlotte's Web, um, partly as a joke, but, but as an, an actual touchpoint reference that the idea of, looking into the spider web and seeing a message there, looking into this um, this netting, this fabric, and seeing words there or being caught in there. You know, it's not like, it's not like Spider-Man as a character is wholly spider-like, uh, other than his like wall crawling, obviously, and the um, yeah strength, uh, proportional strength aspect. It's not like Spider-Man is, there's a, there's a Kate Beaton comic about like, uh, 
brown recluse spider-man where it's like a spider-man in his costume just like biting somebody's arm and then being like what what are you doing i don't know i was scared you know what's happening <laughs> oh, no. and he's like I, you're just really big i'm sorry i was scared like he's not he doesn't have the attitude of a spider he doesn't have these characters spider but he has these visual references to what's what's beautiful and what's mysterious and strange about spiders and like what are the things about spiders that are not creepy and gross and weird and awful and so what's mm -hmm. mysterious and beautiful about them is that you know the 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 myth of uh arachne and the 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 spinning of the of the webbing and the actual physical thing that's left behind the web itself is that unknowable almost mythic strange thing so if we just have that and we just have words that's all you need and they um they animate it well, I think. I I I think it works. Um, yeah, you. Uh, it's, it's it was more, definitely yeah. it, it's it's definitely <clears throat> the kind of thing that you saw a lot with uh, superhero films of the time. Like yeah. everyone had an opening credit sequence, an opening title sequence that was similar to this. Like X Men had it. Mm hmm. Because mm -hmm. um, you went from the cold open at Auschwitz and then like cut to like that thing where you're like moving through the tunnels or whatever. Right. Yeah, there's um, the door and, sort of uh, image. Right. And then it's in. like jeans yeah. and stuff. Yeah. Um, and then this was this was like spider webs and stuff. And then remember Daredevil had like the Braille. Oh, you're right. Oh, yeah, the I city have, was all yeah. made of Braille, yeah. which was actually, arguably, I would say that's the best part of that movie is the the, the title oh, yeah. sequence is oh, pretty great. cool. Yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, that's, oh. But uh, yeah, like to the point where, you know, just just last year, uh, X-Men Apocalypse had that opening title sequence like that again. And every, mm -hmm. I remember every review just being like, really, guys, like you're still doing this? Yeah, because <laughs> it's it's very outdated now. You right. know, like this was uh, like a bold, clean sort of, uh, you know, novel approach at the time. Mm. Uh, right. And, and now it's almost it almost carries with it the air of, oh, yeah, early 2000s. Uh, big budget movie oh yeah okay so we're gonna have absolutely you know absolutely we're gonna have some like really clean graphic words uh in different directions yeah but i yeah i i bring up the main the um the seven comparison mostly for the contrast in that uh this is sort of the antithesis of this this the seven uh right um title sequence in that he was he sort of made his uh his claim at this time where oh we're gonna get that hot new property to to make our stuff at this time where digital um, image processing and uh, uh, all these new creative things that we can do with title sequences, uh, we have all these these new technologies available to it. But the thing that he made his mark with was wholly analog. Like they ran actual film through like, you know, uh, post-processing chemicals and scratched it up with fish hooks and like would write on emulsions the actual names of people like the right. the seven credits are the the exact opposite, I guess, of um, of the Spider Man credits in terms yeah. of their clarity and how clean they are and how how few images are used. But that um, to to know when it's a good call for restraint or to know when you should um, get lost in the in the woods of the imagery is probably uh, one of the one of the things that's important. Being a a, a great designer like that, I mean, I, I wouldn't know. Um, I've done. A weird. I've, I went down the rabbit hole a little bit learning about uh, title sequences a bit now, but I'm still like mystified by it because it's own cotton industry, the uh, cottage industry that um, 
that not a lot of people touch base with and talk to. I mean, they get like some recognition at the Emmys, but it's not like there's a, you know, every year people are like, oh, did you know so-and-so got the, uh, the award for this title sequence or whatnot? But we do have them stick in our brains a lot, you know? Like, yeah. Like we talk about the... Um, the we just X-Men don't ever one. really wonder where they came from. Yeah, yeah, but they exist. Right. So Kyle Cooper, that's where this one came from. Uh, like I said mm. yesterday, he founded Imaginary Forces. Uh, he doesn't work there anymore, but so they did um, Mad Men and Stranger Things, Jessica Jones. His place, Prologue Films, uh, they did Kiss Kiss Bang Bang, Iron oh. Man, Sherlock Holmes, uh, X-Men First Class. They're, they're doing Beauty and the Beast, uh, Kong Skull Island. They did Rogue One, Godzilla. So like he even though he is only in one place now, like his legacy is spread out against several of these different design firms Hmm. and pretty much a lot of the big fancy stuff you can tie back. You can trace all the way back to just a handful of designers working in a couple places that sort of set the tone for a lot of stuff. So interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Lessons about well, uh, well, going, going back to what you said about, uh, uh, Spider-Man not having, uh, you know, just sort of like having like not not being an actual spider. Right. Yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, we we go we come back to the uh, the soap opera of the uh, the the Spider-Man rights moving from production company to production company. That's right. Yes. In 1985, Marvel sold the rights to the Canon Group for two hundred and twenty five thousand dollars. That seems low. Uh, um, yeah, a little low, uh, 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 and even lower when you find out that it was for five years. Um, oh my God. Yeah. Uh, oh God. so 1985 now Canon, for those of you who may not have watched the Canon films documentary, mm-hmm. um, which is on Netflix, uh, Canon was a, a group that, uh, made really bad, you know, direct to video stuff. Um, Awesome. Like and they they did stuff like the Death Wish sequels and Delta Force, right? And uh, the Breakin movies like Electric Boogaloo and oh all, wow, like, yeah, that's that's them. They weren't um, the movers and shakers of the industry, yeah. <laughs> no, and it was run by two Israeli cousins, hmm. um, which uh, their their business model was basically they would uh, scrape the bottom of the Hollywood barrel for scripts, mm-hmm. and then they would make B movies. Uh, usually in the action genre because you can make those for cheap. Awesome. And uh, apparently, so so they were really enthusiastic about getting Spider-Man. And Stan Lee, uh, God bless him, he, he mistook their enthusiasm for competence because <laughs> uh, they were initially operating under the impression that Spider-Man was basically a werewolf. Oh, oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. 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 Oh. Um, so in their version of the film, which was to be directed by Toby Hooper. What? Uh, yeah. Director of Texas Chainsaw Massacre and Poltergeist. Um, in this, a corporate scientist named Dr. Zork. Yes. Uh, intentionally exposes Peter Parker to radiation, which turns him into a human tarantula. I love it. Oh my god! Um, the final conflict would come when uh, a now eight-armed Peter Parker would refuse to join Doctor Zork's army of mutant monsters. 
like a like a pre-established army of mutant monsters or is that just something that they throw in right there at the end of it that, i i don't i don't know that but wow. that's what it was wow it, it actually sounds more like a swamp thing kind of sure movie. yeah whoa it, it, yeah how did i i mean i this of course is like my uh bias after the fact talking but like the idea that you could go so gung-ho after a property like spider-man without without knowing what spider spider-man entails as a character is crazy yeah. to me yeah well they, they just wanted the iconography they're like oh yeah. spider-man i've heard of that we can sell that yeah, people people know what that is oh yeah right. and then you must be a spider-man so we can do some really gross body horror with it and that'll be right. super cool i mean i i don't i'm not gonna like uh uh demonize that um <laughs> that gung-ho you know gumption i'm you know power to you but wow that is that would yeah. have been a misfire of of fascinating proportions. I, yeah. this is a problem. So basically when- <laughs> they, they wrote the script, sent yeah. it to Stan Lee who excitedly read it. And by the end of the script, uh, he gave them a more traditional story treatment treatment and commanded them to adapt that into a script instead. <laughs> um, and so they did and they got, yeah. they got two writers uh, to write it. And then uh, uh, someone else, rewrote it and then uh someone else did a final polish and the resulting script this is the uh fourth version of the uh what would be a a spider-man movie now tell me if this sounds familiar okay this script was about uh otto octavius a college professor mentor to peter parker yeah a cyclotron accident gives parker and spider-man their powers at the same time wait octavius turns into doc ock Uh he's driven mad and then seeks to recreate his experiment in a bid for anti-gravity even though it would threaten to engulf most of new york well okay then yep wow um, so Spider-Man two was almost made in the eighties by Canon films. <laughs> Whoa. <laughs> yeah. That is the only difference is that both Peter and Otto get their powers in the at same, the same time. Yeah. Right. That's amazing. Yeah. I mean, I, I get, I guess it, it speaks to well, just the idea that like that almost wholesale, uh, st- story structure was, was mapped out so, mm-hmm. so far. In, and, and that it's not even where we ended up here in this film. Right. Um, oh, however, uh, I'm still however, wrapping my brain around it. Sorry, go ahead. However, it does start to get a little weird. Okay, so, um, I before I tell you the the other some other details, I want to give you um who they were in preliminary talks to be cast as the uh, the main characters. Okay. So, uh, for Peter Parker, they were in preliminary contract talks with Tom Cruise. Uh, keep in mind this was this was mid eighties. Okay, yeah, Tom Cruise. yeah, sure. Like height of his powers. Whoa, right? Yeah, mid eighties. Tom Cruise, like risky business. Tom Cruise as Peter Parker. Wow. Okay. Um, Bob Hoskins as Doc Ock. <gasps> oh wait. Oh no. I which I'm I'm kind of into. I'm waiting. <laughs> that would be yeah. amazing. Holy and cow. then uh, they were talking to Catherine Hepburn for Aunt May. Whoa. Whoa. Um, and then my yeah. favorite bit yeah. is that Stan Lee uh, had actually uh, been cast. If they would have made this movie, he would have played J. Jonah Jameson. Oh, my God. <laughs> yeah. Oh, my 
God, that's... <laughs> There's a window into an alternate universe here, and I'm not saying it's a preferable one, but I'm saying it's one I would want to visit just to check it out. Because oh yeah, oh wow, oh yeah. wow, yeah. Um, we think and so, we think the Stanley cameos are excessive these days. Jeez, yeah. <laughs> um, so uh, in the in the movie, Doc Ock referred to his mechanical arms as Waldos. Uh, okay, sure. Okay, that's just, gonna, just what they were called. I'm gonna absorb um, that. Go ahead. Instead right. of arms, they were uh-huh. Waldos. His magical Waldos. Yeah. Um. Yeah. He would. Al- he also had a sidekick named Wiener. <laughs> yeah. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> sidekick named Wiener, and uh, a catchphrase, which was "Okie dokie." I need to stop being so quick to uh, <laughs> propose enthusiasm for seeing the I Okay. All right. All right. I'm at peace with it. I've absorbed yeah. it. That's amazing. But not not in like a, oh, positive. That's a great way. Just I'm amazed that yeah. that's a thing. This is, again, after he dem- Stanley demanded that they focus on his uh, story treatment. So this is right. Stan approved once again, not with the giant robots this time. But with right. the with the with the Okie Waldo crew um, and Wiener, yeah, Okie Dokie Waldo crew and Wiener. That's uh, yeah. <laughs> wow. And the the love interest would be Liz Allen in this case. Sure, why not? Wow, yeah. wow. And the, uh, how so, close was this to getting made though? Like, well, jo- Joseph Zito was hired mm-hmm. to direct. Mm-hmm. Um, they had uh, they progressed far enough to scout locations in Italy and England. They hired a storyboard artist, performed special effects tests. Whoa. Um, and then, like I said, we're in preliminary talks with Tom Cruise, Bob Hoskins, and Catherine Hepburn. My God. Yeah. Um, here's <sighs> what stopped this from happening. Okay. <laughs> uh, basically, a quest for peace happened. Oh. Which Canon made. Um, That's right. Which is yeah. why it's so much worse than the other three Superman movies. My God. So much Uh, more makes sense now. Yeah. Okay. Right. So they, they made that and it was, uh, it was a problem. Oh, I will say also Uh the other thing that's good, that that's interesting about this, um, in this script, this is the first time when Peter Parker's eyesight was fixed by the spider bite. Oh, cool. Negating the need for glasses that came from this script. Got it. So Um, we're, we're picking up our pieces along the way, then we'll integrate them. Uh, right. (laughs) When we actually get to make the project. That's cool. Yeah. So they, they, they slashed the Spider-Man budget from 15 to 20 million down to 10 million. And, mm. uh, the director walked out in protest. Mm. Um, and they, they switched focus to the quest for, for peace. Yeah. Um, lost a bunch of money there. And then, uh, by 88, um, Let's see. They lost the rights and then they got them back, I believe. Let me see here. Mm-hmm. Yes. They got them back uh, along with like a couple of other characters because they ended up making that 1990 Captain America movie. Yes. With uh, um, motorcycles. Right. right. Yes. Uh, so they announced a 1989 Christmas release date for Spider-Man. Uh-huh. At this point, they hired a bunch of writers to rewrite the scripts um, and they wanted to get a shooting script that they could produce as cheaply as possible. <laughs> and what happened was that uh, they did a story with the lizard, 
is what they changed it to because they're oh, like, wow. oh yeah, he'll he'll fight the lizard. Like it'll be a you know, it's a monster movie. Like that'll right. be sure. way easier than fighting Doctor Octopus because then we got to figure out the arm situation. Arm, yeah. This yeah. is just like we just put a dude in a rubber mask and we're good to go. Great. Yeah. Sure. Uh, and then they were like, well, do we need the 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 mask? Like, can we can we just not do the makeup stuff? And they're like, well, what else would we do? Well, instead of a lizard, can he just be a vampire? Uh, so in this version, uh, Spider-Man was going to fight a scientist turned vampire, <sighs> um, which I assume is where Morpheus comes from. Yeah. Like, I mean, I, I mean, guess there's a riff there involved because I know he was big in the nineties, but when was he actually invented written about i mean because that's the whole deal sure. like he's the living vampire where he has like a like a disease it's like a, a genetic disease type thing not a undead right. type cre- a creature that's whoa yeah that's insane yeah i mean so his first uh his first morpheus's first appearance was in moon Knight 12 in august of 1981 so he already okay. existed at this point right so right. he was not the inspiration this Direct inspiration. thing was not yeah. an inspiration for Morpheus. If anything, right. it maybe it was the other way around. It yeah. really seems they like pivot to it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It really just seemed like they they just happened to lead to like a vampire thing because it right. was cheap. Yeah, they're um, like, how many more elements can we shave away until we're left with a guy that you right. can fight? Right. Okay. Right. Vampire. Sure. Uh, now, now here's something else that's interesting. Mm-hmm. The uh, director of this. Uh, who was, let's see, what's his name? Pewen, uh, mm. Albert, Albert Pewen. Sure. Uh, yeah. He directed, he directed that 1990 Captain America movie. Right. Um, he, they were so far into production that they had most of the props finished props and Whoa. sets and things. Yeah. Whoa. And, and, uh, it finally got shut down because pa- Canon was purchased, um, and uh, uh, when it was purchased, the rights for Spider-Man and Captain America went with the company that uh, that went with them, oh, which wow. would uh, become 21st Century Films and then eventually would become um, uh, Carol Co. Wow. Which uh, which is so which, then which just... will get us to the James Cameron one in just a second. That's but amazing. Those sets and props that he made for. The Spider-Man film yeah. were redone and reused for uh, the seminal classic Cyborg, starring Jean-Claude Van Damme. Oh wow, what a what a lucky break that was that we were yeah. able to make Cyborg. That's yeah. amazing, right? I I see, this is when people talk about like why don't they just make such and such thing into a movie, and then somebody's like, oh, it's caught in development hell, and and, and it's easy to maybe think that that's just a process of people arguing over rights or not getting the, the money together, but it can just be this weird unending tapestry of reversals and betrayals and starts and stops where it's nigh impossible to actually get something off the ground. If there's, if there's a lot of, if there's a lot involved, at least in 2001, I would assume uh, mm-hmm. that's crazy. That's crazy. So, uh, so then uh, Carol Co. Yeah. Uh, which, you know, got, got in bed with 21st century films, which now mm. owned the Spider-Man rights. Yeah. Uh, Carol Co. uh, hired James Cameron to write and direct a Spider-Man movie. 
Wow. And uh, at this point, you know, this was the this was the version where it was going to star Leonardo DiCaprio. Yeah. As yeah. Peter Parker. Sure. Uh, the villains in the script were Electro and Sandman, um, huh. both of which were renamed and and basically unrecognizable versions of themselves. Cool. Uh, Mary Jane was really snooty and huh. uh, and basically unlikable. Like she was not she was not a fun character. <laughs> um, and uh, at one point in it, um, Spider Man Spider Man actually. Says to Electro, I'll kill you, mother effer. <laughs> it's, uh, that is a line that in his script. Right in the script as, right. uh, dropping, dropping MF bombs. On, right. On this is, guys. this is While also violent. Yeah. 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 This is also the script in which, um, they're like Spider-Man and, and Mary Jane have a sex scene. Wow. Um, in, uh, in webbing. And uh, also, uh, Peter has a wakes up, has a has a a web wet dream, um, <laughs> in which he wakes up from a dream of uh, dreaming about Mary Jane, and uh, webbing has like attached himself to the uh, to uh, the to the sheets, and uh, and this is also the introduction of the organic webbing. Hey, well there you go. Um, that's uh, where it came from. Not a. Not a master of subtlety, Mister Mister Cameron, but uh, mm-hmm. he does he does every once in a while know a good idea when he hits on it. That's yeah. that's amazing. I mean, I've I've known about the existence of his like treatment. It's a it's like a script, um, scriptment, scriptment. Yeah, yeah. It's mm-hmm. like it's too too long to be just like a, a a general outline, but much and very much too involved for that. But it's not like an actual mm-hmm. full length screenplay uh, describing the film that he would have made. Um, and I've I've heard it's bonkers mm-hmm. uh yeah when they when when uh spider-man and mary jane have sex um spider-man leaves his mask on yeah so she doesn't totally. know who he is wow yeah and then at the end of the movie he does reveal her secret to her but this is only after uh mary jane is killed by electro oh and then brought back by electro to life of course yeah because he has electricity powers right and so he goes victor frankenstein on her it makes makes sense yeah that's totally um on board with all that i know about mary jane wow i um (laughs) so i i'm sure a good like 18 percent of this episode has just been me saying wow or huh and i apologize but it's just i don't know how else to react to some of the things that scott has dug up yeah (laughs) this it's Research. pretty bananas. I mean, wow. it's pretty bananas. And then yeah. this didn't happen because uh, Carol Co went bankrupt uh-huh. in '95, uh, and uh, and 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 he would um, he would switch focus to Titanic at that point. Also starring his would be Peter. His would be Peter Parker. So he right. so he gathered because I, I know Cameron had like met um, Leo DiCaprio a long time. Pre, prior to Titanic, I, I when he was like a kid, there's like when I was working at Warner Brothers on a couple of different projects, you would sometimes get the like studio tours walking by, and there was like one um, on the back lot there at Warner Brothers. There's like one lawn that I like to sit on. It's just like a little patch of fake grass. Sometimes it's real grass, like when they bring in actual sod for filming. But just a patch of grass in front of a fake house that they shoot stuff on. It's just a nice place to sit, and they would have the. Um, the studio tours come by and uh, they would like tell little stories about, hey, this and this was filmed here. This or that was filmed here. And one day I was sitting there eating a sandwich on that lawn and they said, 
by the way, this patch of grass over here, and they gesture to me, and there's like all these tourists sitting there, uh, is where Leonardo DiCaprio met James Cameron. Uh, apparently, a young Leo DiCaprio who was um, still a kid at the time was filming something on the Warner Brothers lot, and James Cameron like talked to him there while they were like waiting in between takes because Cameron was like you know doing something at the um, <laughs> he was doing something at the lot and was like really taken with how like precocious and focused this young actor was and mm -hmm. kept him in, in mind for future projects. Like, oh, wow, he has like so much intensity and he was a really focused and driven young man. I don't know what I could use him in yet, but I'll, I'll keep an eye on him. And like, that's the little story they tell at um, Warner Brothers. And I always thought that there sounded like there was a missing something in between that. Like I, I understand meeting like, a very young Leonardo DiCaprio and seeing that, oh, that kid will be a star someday. I get that. And I get making Titanic. I get that. I just feel, I always wondered what is the, what's the bridge between those two, you know, mm -hmm. well-known stories, or at least, you know, maybe they're, maybe the first one's apocryphal, but uh, it's at least a, a, a well-worn yarn in the mythology of how Leonardo DiCaprio came to become Leonardo DiCaprio that you know and love. I always wondered what is, what's the other relationship they have? What, what does he know him from? What was there in the works? And the idea that like, yeah, I'm, I'm James Cameron. I'm, uh, you know, I've, I've got some heat behind me now and I can make a Spider-Man movie and, and go through, go through at least, um, the process of meeting with people. And then right. Uh, like, at, and that's where that sort of connection is forged. That's amazing. Um, yeah. Yeah, that like, this is a thing that, that, uh, uh, this is a thing that like I hear every once in a while, uh, a film that doesn't get made still has reverberations across all sorts of pro properties that you don't even, um, realize that like no, yeah. no film project is ever, uh, completely, what's the word I'm looking for? No film project is ever, uh, completely void of, um, value of a, a value or effect or of of legacy in some kind right, right. you know and, and not everything is like yodorovsky's dune or something but uh <laughs> the process of like trying to get something made and like gathering people together and get them off the ground can can branch out into all sorts of other things that um there's a there's a thought i have um that we'll probably get to either next week or uh maybe later this week about casting and uh where you see somebody in something else might get them a job years and years later that they have no idea about. And right. so like that this Spider-Man problem, would Titanic have worked the same way if James Cameron had done this Spider-Man movie? You know, would that right. have even occurred? Would everybody else's careers that took off because of that have worked that way? I don't know. It's, it's a it's a rabbit hole that you can go wandering down every once in a while if you're so inclined. <laughs> but, Absolutely, yeah. Yeah, but it's crazy. Yeah. That's wild. Um. Yeah. Crazy stuff, but yeah, yeah. and then that's yeah. that's not the end of the craziness. I got more for tomorrow. Oh man! Um, but this is uh, this is another. There's a whole other kind of crazy. Okay, um, all right. I'll have but, to steal uh, myself for that one. <laughs> <laughs> more stuff for tomorrow. Right. Um, but yeah, I think that about wraps us up for minute two. <laughs> yeah, sure. Yeah, pretty. <laughs> I think we went a little in depth there on minute two. Thanks, guys. Still haven't seen yeah. an actual frame of real footage from the movie, but, uh, I'm having a blast. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Um, so yeah, so we want to, we want to make sure that we give a shout out to 
our uh, Movies by Minutes brethren at moviesbyminutes.com. Uh, mm-hmm. Go there, check out uh, the you know the granddaddy of of all the movies by minutes podcast, Star Wars Minute. Yes, and of course uh, everybody else over there, like uh, you know Star Trek Minute and Princess Bride Minute and Indiana Jones Minute and mm-hmm. uh, Jurassic Park Minute. I mean, it's it's there's a ton of these podcasts. So if you're not aware of this whole brand of podcasts, go to moviesbyminutes.com and go see if somebody's uh, doing your favorite movie. Yeah. Um, And uh, go check that out. And we will be back tomorrow with Minute 3. Love it. Thanks, guys. 